0: On a cool night in the eastern Roman city of Myra, in modern day southwestern Turkey, three young women are settling down for the night in a small, two bedroom home. As they squeeze into a single bed barely large enough for the three of them, a sudden sound shakes them awake. Apprehensive, one of them slowly rises from the bed and grabs what looks like a small bag. As she does, a second small bag falls onto her windowsill. She opens both bags to find them full of golden coins, and not just a small amount. It was a fortune's worth, enough to purchase them a new house, or four. The young women called their father into the room, and he too was astonished at the find. With tears welling in his eyes, he peered out the window to see a cloaked figure fleeing from the scene. Dashing out the front door, the father pursued the man for several city blocks before finally intercepting him and grabbing his cloak, stopping the chase. The cloaked man turned, sheepishly, to the father, and the hood fell from his head. The father noticed a third bag of coins in his hands, which the cloaked figure had intended to also be delivered on that night. But the father knew the man... Unbeknownst to the rest of the world, this father had accidentally squandered his inheritance and had no dowries to bestow upon his daughters, which would make them desirable to wife. They were coming of age and the father could no longer care for them, meaning if they did not find a husband soon, they would likely wind up forced to participate in the world's oldest profession, prostitution. But with these bags of money, the daughters would now have dowries, and would easily find husbands, saving them from that fate. The father wiped tears from his eyes before finally getting a good look at the man who had bestowed such a gift upon his family, and he knew him. The man before him had long white hair and a thick white beard, and was revered in the community for being one of pure heart and good intent. The cloaked man begged the father to keep the good deed a secret, as he wished to remain anonymous, and the man agreed. However not without documenting the encounter in secret. The story was passed down through the ages as the night that the three virgins were saved by the gifts of none other than Saint Nicholas. How's it going everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened I am Tanner, and as always, I'm going to be talking about some stuff that happened. And you know what? The stuff that happened that we're talking about is very relevant in the day that I'm releasing this. I'm releasing this episode on Christmas Eve. For some of you, it may already be Christmas Day. For others, um, it's going to be Christmas Eve, just like me. And I'm hoping to get this episode dropped before midnight, which it looks like, going at the rate I'm going at, it's going to happen. So, welcome to the podcast. This is an exciting episode. We're talking about Santa Claus and the story behind that legendary figure that we all know and love. Whether we're Christian or not, we are familiar with this character, and he is awesome. So, uh, we're going to get right into that as soon as possible. But before we do, if you enjoy this podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if there is an opportunity for you to drop a five-star rating... Please do so. It gets more people involved with the conversations about history and gives me the little ego boost that I so much love. So thank you in advance for that. All right, without further ado, let's get started. But first I want to tell a quick funny story. For all of the Christmas season, I have actually been working in a shack with Santa, taking pictures of kids as they come to see Santa. And that got me thinking about this episode. Got me thinking, where did Santa Claus come from? I'll be totally honest, I had no intentions of doing this episode, I had no intentions of reading up on Santa Claus whatsoever, but because of that experience, it has happened, it has been fun, and we've got a great episode coming for you right now. So, without further ado, let's get started, ladies and gentlemen. Let's investigate the man, the myth, the legend. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, "'not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. "'All the stockings were hung by the chimney with care "'in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there.'" No, 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 wait a minute. We know Santa Claus, right? So who's this St. Nicholas guy? This is where we start. Now, St. Nicholas, who's that? Well, he was a real individual, but the guy that we're talking about here goes by many names. The most popular in the United States are Santa Claus, Kris Kringle, or Saint Nick. In Britain, it's Father Christmas. The Dutch call him Sinterklaas. The Germans, Der Weihnachtsmann, who travels with his frightening counterpart, Krampus. The French refer to him as Père Noël. Russians call him Ded Moraz, in Turkey, he's Noel Baba. In Italy, he's Babo Natali. In Greece, he's Agios Vasilios. In Finland, he's Jolupuki. In Iceland, he's Jolas Vinar. And there's 13 of him there. I mean, when it comes down to it, this guy, whoever he is, gets around. And he lives a pretty fascinating life, obviously. So who is the big man in the red suit, and where did he come from? To get to the very bottom of this, I mean the very bottom of this story, we've got to go back to the 4th century AD. You know what that means. The Eastern Roman Empire in the mid-300s AD, and a man named Nicholas, a devout cleric in the churches of of the Eastern Roman Empire, passes away, rather quietly. And while he lived a humble life, many are surprised at the multitudes who show up at his funeral. And... Over the next few years, people start divulging stories of Nicholas's generosity and his desire to remain anonymous in his generosity. A story begins to be woven that Nicholas was originally from a wealthy family, but upon the deaths of his parents, he chose to distribute his enormous inheritance to the poor. He saved three young girls from forced prostitution by bestowing them with dowries from his own pockets. He stopped the executions of three innocent men by paying for a new trial, which found them not guilty. He would put coins in vacant shoes left on doorsteps he passed while making his rounds of the city. He confronted the generals of the grand Roman army as Roman soldiers were looting his city and chastised them for allowing their troops to misbehave, which promptly brought an end to the mayhem. He was a good man. And if these stories were true, which he had desired to be kept anonymous, one of the best men. As a result of this, a large church was built 200 years later over his tomb in the city of Myra, where he served as a religious leader, called a basilica. Now, what's a basilica? A basilica was the name in ancient Rome for a large public building with multiple uses, but in the late antiquity period... Between 250 and 750 AD, this morphed into the term for Christian buildings modeled after the same method of creation, but used primarily for worship, while also housing clerical services. Basically, churches that were by no means small, but also had other uses than just Sunday Mass. Famous instances of this are St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican, Notre-Dame-de-la-Garde in uh, Marseille, France, and the Basilica of the Shrine of Assumption in Baltimore, USA. So, as the Seljuk Turks expanded into the area, the Eastern Roman Empire declined, and St. Nicholas's remains were moved to southern Italy, just to keep them safe, and another basilica was built around them, called Basilica di San Nicola, which still stands today. Then... Nicholas was canonized by the Catholic Church as a saint, which meant he was given a feast day in which to specifically honor him and his good deeds. This day was December 6th, and from the Middle Ages to the present, children practiced the giving of gifts anonymously to one another on that day, every year, especially putting coins in each other's shoes. This celebration traversed the Alps to find its way into the Netherlands, and the Dutch evolved the name of St. Nicholas into the name Sinterklaas, with Klaas being the nickname for the Dutch version of Nicholas, Niklas. But the story of Santa Claus takes an interesting turn at this point. In the Netherlands, St. Nicholas had actually long been the patron saint of Amsterdam. The Dutch were familiar with him, and Sinterklaas was just adopting a newer, more mythical holiday-oriented moniker for him. They began popularizing the idea that Claus ran across rooftops on a white horse while the children slept, carrying a red book that held the records of which children were good and which were bad, delivering presents as he went to the good ones and not to the naughty ones, with helpers who built and also delivered presents. This is where mythology start to blend a little bit, and this is where I think, personally, this gets very interesting. In the late Middle Ages, or perhaps around the time of the Renaissance, the stories of Santa Claus began blending with the mythology from Scandinavia, which held that a legendary event occurred periodically known as the Wild Hunt, where the Norse god Odin led a legion of assistance in scaring away dark magic. So, wait a minute, how could Santa Claus be compared to Odin, the Norse god, basically the main Norse god? Well, in the tale of the wild hunt, Odin rides a white horse, gallops across the sky, and is accompanied by two ravens who stand at the chimneys and listen for good or bad behavior in mortals, which is then reported back to Odin. Kind of interesting, huh? Makes you think. But that raises a question, how did Norse mythology find its way into the Netherlands? Well, between the 8th and 11th centuries AD, Vikings from Denmark, Sweden, and Norway periodically raided settlements near or in the Netherlands, as Viking coins and other Viking artifacts have been unearthed in uh, in the region. The Vikings would often take slaves who occasionally escaped, or would sometimes defect from their tribes and assimilate into the population. This is especially true in places like Ireland. It's possible that some Vikings assimilated into the lands around the Netherlands and into the Dutch people, and brought some of their mythology with them, which diffused with the Christian legends about Sinterklaas. Odin, the main Norse god, was almost always portrayed with long white hair and a voluptuous white beard. So hold on. Chimneys, white beard, riding an animal through the sky delivering presents... Kind of sounds like we're getting closer here. More evidence can be cited to this when we read that many Anglo-Saxon pagans who also believed in the wild hunt would celebrate a holiday called Night of the Mothers on December 24th, which is now Christmas Eve. Another name for this holiday? Yuletide. Does the name remind you of a specific type of carol being sung by a choir, maybe? Maybe. Well, the story of Santa Claus takes another turn as a new name for the legendary holiday figure is coined in the late 16th and 17th century. As Martin Luther instigated the Protestant Reformation in Europe, many Protestant sects didn't like the idea of so many people worshipping a Catholic saint on a specific day of the year, which was now becoming linked with a pagan holiday of Yuletide. But they liked the gift-giving atmosphere of the season, so they created a new character to replace the Catholic saint, Nicholas. Christkindl, which is pretty much just German for Christ Child. Christkindl was never exactly viewed as an actual mythical being who brought presents to good children, but more of a symbol of the heart and soul of the giving season that replaced the celebration of Saint Nicholas. But does the name Christkindl sound a little bit familiar? Maybe kind of like Kris Kringle? Finally, around the beginning of the 1800s, we arrive at the most popular American name for our favorite holiday figure. Sinterklaas had long been active in the Netherlands, but had recently moved from being a highly religious figure and moved to being a more secular entity. He had been wearing red Catholic robes, but now he just wore a big red suit— which translated easily to the fires of liberty felt in the freshly formed United States. The name Sinterklaas was Americanized into the name Santa Claus, which first appeared in print in the United States in 1773 and was solidified in 1809, when Washington Irving incorporated the figure into his book, The History of New York, in which the legend of Santa Claus begins incorporating a flying wagon into its story. In 1821, a book of short stories about the holiday season featured a poem called Old Santa Claus with Much Delight, which was the first recorded time anyone mentioned Santa Claus in a sleigh pulled by reindeer. Then, as we all know, many facts about Santa Claus became canon with the publishing of a single anonymously written poem, A Visit from Santa Claus, better known as The Night Before Christmas. In the poem, the author refers to the figure as St. Saint Nicholas, but, I mean, we all know, right? We all know who it really is. And here, Santa doesn't have a flying wagon or a simple sleigh, but a flying sleigh pulled by eight tiny reindeer. Flying reindeer, all of which now had names. Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, and Blitzen. But why reindeer? Well, I was curious about this, and it took a little bit more digging, but I found that many Western mythologies, such as Norse and Dutch, see reindeer as having a special connection with the lands further north. If you have any idea about anything pertaining to Christmas, I'm sure you know where Santa Claus hails from. Also in the poem is the first time we see Santa come down the chimney with a bag of toys, and his rosy cheeks and red nose are first noted, his chubbiness is identified, and his huge white beard is made absolutely canon. Finally, his famous call for merriment is sounded across the hilltops in the last line of the story, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Then, in the later 1800s, the image of Santa Claus was immortalized by an artist named Thomas Nast, who drew and published the first picture of Santa Claus, complete with a huge belly, a thick white beard, dimples, rosy cheeks, and presents to boot. Americans, loving their children's new obsession with this mythical figure, begged for more, and Tom now had a business model on his hands, keep making up more Santa stuff. His next big task was to figure out where Santa lived, and he had the perfect place. In the late 1800s, one of the last frontiers on the planet was a barren wasteland in which very few men ever dared to explore, and from which even fewer had actually returned to talk of what they found. The northern tip of the planet was as mysterious as the mythical figure he was drawing, and it just so happened that it was covered in the one substance that perfectly idealized Christmas. Snow. Yes, Tom knew exactly where to put Santa's home base. The North Pole. But kids weren't yet sold on this. A weird fat guy in a red suit who lived in the North Pole with elves who built toys and that he brought on a flying sleigh pulled by magical reindeer to every single child in the country. In one night? Impossible. Until... The New York Sun, one of the most popular newspapers in New York City and beyond, published an editorial in 1897 titled, Is There a Santa Claus? In the editorial, a young girl named Virginia writes to the editors of the paper, telling them her friends are starting to tell her there's no such thing as Santa Claus and she needs proof from a reputable source. The editors responded like this, and I'm going to read this entire editorial to to you because there is no part of it that is not absolutely perfect. It goes like this, Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant in his intellect, as compared with the boundless world about him, as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole of truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to our life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would the world be if there were no Santa Claus? It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment, except in sense and sight. The eternal light with which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. Not believe in Santa Claus, you might as well not believe in fairies. You might get your papa to hire men to watch all the chimneys on Christmas Eve to catch Santa Claus, but even if they did not see Santa Claus coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus, but that is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not, but that's no proof that they are not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders that are unseen and unseeable in the world. You tear apart a baby's rattle and see what makes the noise inside, but there is a veil covering the unseen world, which not the strongest man or even the united strength of all the strongest men in the world that have ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, fancy, poetry, love, romance can push aside that curtain and view and picture the supernatural beauty and glory beyond. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia... In all this world, there is nothing else as real and abiding. No, Santa Claus, thank God, he lives and he lives forever. A thousand years from now, maybe ten times ten thousand years from now, he will continue to make glad the hearts of children. And just like that, Santa Claus was real. He had always been real, and he would always be real, and today real he is. In fact, he's appeared in dozens, if not hundreds, of holiday movies. How can you not be real and do that? And to prove it, like I said, on the night that I am releasing this podcast, he is likely already on his way around the world, delivering presents to the good girls and boys across the globe. And you know you better settle in for a long winter's nap, because just like I tell the girls and boys who come and take pictures of Santa behind plexiglass in our little shack, He won't come if you're still awake. And also, don't set up cameras. It doesn't work. Believe me, I've tried. Today, he goes by many names. Santa Claus, Kris Kringle, St. Nicholas, Father Christmas, and all the other names that so many call him by once a year, every year. But his purpose remains the same. Bring joy and happy faces to the children of the world on one day, every year. Now, Merry Christmas, everyone. Really. Make sure you spend a lot of time with your families and friends and tell them just how much you love them. And honestly, be cheesy with it. Because remember, just like the folks at the New York Sun said, nobody sees Santa Claus, but that is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. And that's going to do it for the podcast today, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you all. Thank you for listening in today. I will be back the 1st of 2021, January 1st, with a brand new episode. And I am going to be recapping all of 2020, everything that happened, trying to condense it all into and with a neat little bow. That is my Christmas gift to you this year. Thank you all for a wonderful year. And uh, Merry Christmas again. Like I said... Please go spend time with your families. Give them a hug. Tell them you love them. If you are a little bit more fearful of of COVID, at least reach out to them in some way. Let them know that you care and that you love them, that you're thinking of them. It means the world to all of us. And I will catch you all in a little over a week. It is now 1020, and I have got a lot of presents to wrap before I go to bed so that Santa can uh, come to my house with my family. Catch you all soon. Bye-bye.